the exciting thing about architecture is that, is that we're creating theatres for living that affect our mood, our, our the way we interact. The, the power of architecture is what really tantalised me in the first place, the way what we create is a holistic environment for humanity. And it endures, endures millennia. The Pantheon and, and Parthenon were, were structures built thousands of years ago and they still have an impact and we're still creating that in all sorts of ways in architecture today whether it be the room i'm sitting in or a project i'm working on we're creating an environment with which humanity creates itself so very important i mean i'm very much aware of the importance of what we do and uh, that's kind of the hook isn't it you know and the media thing is that i do is, is a way of further awakening people's senses to the importance of this stuff so you know the media work and, and the architecture i do and, and other things is all about trying to um, you know spread the word of the importance of, of architecture and the way it shapes humanity that is multi-award winning australian architect and the host of Grand Designs Australia, Peter Madison. And this is episode 301 of Better Than Yesterday. Hello and welcome to Better Than Yesterday. I'm Osha Ginsberg and this is episode 301 of the show with multi-award winning Australian architect and the host of one of my favourite shows, Grand Designs Australia, Peter Madison. More about Peter in just a moment. If you knew, what is this podcast? It's got, basically, it's just a conversation guaranteed to help you make today a little bit better than yesterday. That's it. Something you'll hear today will make you think about the world in a slightly different way and may think you might be going, huh. All right, and maybe you'll do something a little differently today and then you go to bed tonight going, today was better than yesterday. That's it. There's 300 other episodes you can go and check out if you like. Thank you so much to everybody who had very kind words to say about the new name for the show, the new theme song, and um, the new direction of and also the chat that I had with Audrey. A big thanks especially to everyone that rated and reviewed the show on iTunes. That's always a massive, massive help to us. I know people listen on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, etc., but the iTunes reviews seem to be the ones that really give us the best bang for buck when it comes to um, getting more people to find out about the show. Uh, so to encourage more of you to rate there, let me just say thank you to the people that have written there. Thank you to Meow, who gave us a five star. Uh, this podcast has changed my life for the better. Your calming influence and words of wonder and delight fill my head. Thank you for such a great podcast and for helping to change the stigma surrounding mental illness. Keep on keeping on. Thank you so much. Oh, it's Katrina. Thank you. Um, congrats, 300 plus wife, plus daughter, plus son. Thanks, Kath. Um, really appreciate it. That's very sweet of you to say. One from uh, Mia, I believe. Osher is an articulate, highly intelligent and thoughtful guy who presents a real gem of a podcast. Love his guests and his chats with various people. I always wait excitedly for each Monday's episode. Well, thank you so much. That's freaking good of you that you um, got in touch and did that. Thank you so, so much. Um, you can just do that on the iTunes store rating system. Uh, you can do it on your phone or you can do it on a laptop, wherever you want to do it. Um, also, some fantastic podsies this week. I really appreciate it. It's always great to find out where you listen to the show. Just You're probably listening to this on a phone. Um, so just take a photo of what you're looking at and send it to me. That's really it. Send us your email at gmail.com. Um, big thanks to Ellie, who is enjoying her lunch at the MCG. Yes, the MCG, the Melbourne Cricket Ground, where people watch football and cricket and occasionally... Um, I don't know, concerts or whatever else goes on there. Uh, but there's offices there and Ellie works there. 
and she was enjoying her lunch up in the stands, which is fabulous. Um, a great one came in from Nev, who sent in a podsy of his daughter Ruby in utero uh, with an ultrasound picture. That's very, very sweet of you to send that. And Kate, who was enjoying a coffee on Sydney Road in Melbourne, listening to the podcast while enjoying a coffee, and my face rolled by on a tram. That's some weird oshaception going on there. I've seen that tram. I've sat next to a road when that tram's rolled by me. It's weird. My head 10 feet high on the side of a tram. It's very odd. But thank you so much for getting in touch, Kate. You can always email me, send or email at gmail.com. Just to check in with you quickly this week, not not a lot to say that I didn't say on Monday. Just prioritizing sleep is tough for the newborn, as I'm sure anyone who's got a newborn has found out. And, you know, the, the common trope goes. Um, sleep's a tricky one because if, you know, we don't get enough sleep, our ability to, our resilience uh, just tends to drop a bit. And um, but you know we're doing what we can here. As I did mention on Monday's show, I you know I do tend to look at my newborn son and I just weep. And I'm sure that's a common thing too because I can't protect him from the world. I can't protect him from a world that's on fire with leaders that apparently aren't interested in doing their jobs and protecting and helping their countries. Um, but I did come upon a big learning this week because I was doing a lot of writing about this week and um. I came on with this line, it's, you know, occasionally, I can't remember who wrote it, someone said, there's your T-shirt, um, and occasionally, you know, either Audrey or I or G will drop a line and we go, there's the T-shirt. So the T-shirt is, I can't change the world, but I can change a nappy. I can't get Scott Morrison to take climate change seriously. I can't do that. I can't show him that his precious Australian economy is being directly affected and negatively affected by climate change. So therefore, he should do something about it because he cares for the economy so much. Um, I can't show him that, but I can do the next right thing. I can change Wolfie's nappy. I can warm up a bottle. I can feed the baby. And I can do all that today. And as far as Wolfie's concerned, those things change his world. So that's what I'll do today. That's it. That's where I am this week, guys. So let me tell you about my guest today. Peter Madison is a multi-award winning Australian architect. 
He's been running his own architecture firm in Melbourne since 1989. He's also the host of the brilliant Foxtel series, Grand Designs Australia. I've got to tell you, Audrey and I just love this show. I love this show. I'm not particularly obsessed with architecture. You know, a house is a house, a building is a building. I'm fascinated, though, with the human stories that this show tells and how you get an insight into how other people make decisions, how they deal with adversity, how they behave under pressure, how they are to contractors, how they are to each other, and indeed what other people think is home versus what I think is home. Peter's a fascinating man, super smart and a mind that is so fast I could barely keep up with him. We actually caught up over a FaceTime call, which is a, a first for this show, but it was the only way that he and I could chat. So I do appreciate your understanding of the audio quality that you'll uh, hear today. Grand Designs Australia has its 2019 season finale next Wednesday, the 18th of September, and you can watch all the episodes uh, or was it the 17th? Whatever next Wednesday is. <laughs> you can watch all the episodes, of course, on Catch Up on Foxtel if you have Foxtel. Enjoy this conversation with the fascinating Peter Madison. I am so grateful to speak to you today, Peter. Where are we finding you today? We are at my office, uh, the epicentre of architecture in Melbourne. There we are. <laughs> Great little look around. Beautiful open plan situation there. I really like what you've done with the room and those walls. The colours uh, yeah, really burst with joy. <laughs> there you go. That'll be $6.50, please. <laughs> what part of Melbourne are you in? Uh, we're in South Melbourne. Well, it's a, it's a beautiful looking office and it's extraordinary design, as I would expect from someone uh, who, does, who does your job. You've been an architect for how long now, Peter? Oh, well, we've been here for almost 30 years. Wow. That's extraordinary. Where did architecture start for you? Was it in high school? Was it in primary school? Probably. Um, I was probably at the age of about 20. Yeah. And I'd, I'd um, failed my uh, VCE, final year of school. I started work for a couple of years as a, a clerk, and that, did, that wasn't really that satisfying. And went back and retrained myself, went back and uh, repeated my final year of school when I was about 21, 22, and then I happened to be going out with a girl at the time whose father was an architect, and he inspired me to reach a bit higher than just being a clerk. And that sort of started the journey, really, of, of, of doing architecture. It took, took seven years. Uh, eventually, after uh, getting work experience with other architects, I opened my own practice. That's, you know, that's, Peter, that is just extraordinary. As someone who um, also failed high school. Oh. Yeah. It's extraordinary to hear the story of, of, of another person who, I mean, clearly you're a smart person, clearly you're an intelligent man and you've built a, a, a very successful business and a great career and, you know, that, that high school kind of, you know, missed you in a way or wasn't there for you. It's interesting to talk to you about that because I as well finished high school thinking I wasn't very clever because I, I didn't pass it and I, I didn't know how to do it right and I thought, as all my friends pushed off to uni, I thought, well, that's it, I'm not a very clever person and then yeah. uh, years later it turns out that that wasn't exactly the case. I just kind of wasn't clever in a way that high school tested. Did you did you feel crestfallen when high school didn't work out for you? No, I, I sort of made sense because I was knew I wasn't focusing at high school because of uh, I was very much into surfing at the time. Yeah. Have been all my life actually, but and that was really my main passion. It was not studying, and yeah. I was at a very dysfunctional school, and so it kind of all made sense when I got my fail result at VCE. I sort of just took it as, as well. That's kind of what I deserved. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't really a surprise. I knew <laughs> I was goofing. I knew I was goofing off. 
But, yeah. so, but when you found, you know, obviously you got this job as a clerk, but then when you found architecture, what was it that made you, made you light up? Uh, but the possibility of, of doing something that I hadn't conceived before, the possibilities of, of the future very much excited me and also what architecture meant uh, and what uh, mark you could leave and the life you could lead in a, in a kind of like a position that I never dreamed would be possible. So, the, you know, it's the, it's the possibilities is what really led me to apply myself and go back and retrain and, uh, you know, reach for the stars. You're very lucky then as a, as a person to have found that, to unlock that, because that, you know, can be a pathway that people can write you off early in your 20s and can be hard to come back from that. Most of us, are, and it's kind of leading on from what you just said as to what drove you forward, most of us are right now listening to this I am, you are, we're both sitting in a room of some description or it might even be some sort of vestibule on a public transportation situation. We might not think about how much of that affects us. An office is an office, a room's a room, a gym's a gym. What have you found about how the space affects our life and affects our moods? Oh, see how space affects us? Yeah. Oh, enormously. I mean, I think what, what and that's the exciting thing about architecture is, is that we're creating um, uh, theatres for living that affect our mood, our, uh, the way we interact. The power of architecture is what really uh, tantalised me in the first place. I'm still in by the way um, it's a, what we create is a holistic environment for humanity and it endures, endures millennia. The Pantheon and, and Parthenon were, were structures built thousands of years ago and they still have an impact and we're still creating that in all sorts of ways in architecture today, whether it be the room I'm sitting in or a project I'm working on, we're creating an environment which, with which humanity and, and creates itself. So very important. I mean, I, I'm very much aware of the importance of what we do and uh, that's kind of the hook, isn't it? That's a... You know, and the media thing that I do is, is a way of further weakening people's senses to the importance of this stuff. So, you know, the media work and, and the architecture I do and, and other things is all about trying to, um, you know, spread the word of the importance of, of architecture and, and, and um, the way it shapes humanity. I, I, you're absolutely right. Well, I remember when I first, you know, I only knew that people in a kind of modern Western household, everyone had their own bedroom. And I only I only learned that it wasn't until the Industrial Revolution that we started doing that. We all slept in the same room before that and how much yep. that can affect our family structure and our feeling of sense and purpose and connection with each other um, and what it has continued to do to us as a society. And that's all just from this decision to go, I don't know, we'll make more rooms. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's extraordinary. As we do find out things about that, as we go, oh, this is a great idea. Let's get bedrooms for everyone, for example. Or this is a great idea. Let's put everyone in an office of their own and then realising, oh, actually, no, they work better when they're out in the, in the open space. How do you keep abreast of how architecture is affecting productivity and families even? And how do you then you know, make sure that you can adapt to those changes? Yeah, a good point because uh, society is changing all the time and, and the requirements uh, around living, working, socialising is changing as, as society changes. Well, um, in, in our profession, we're very lucky because we, we're very much all the time communicating in all sorts of ways to stay abreast. So it's all these uh, inputs coming to you all the time to try and stay abreast of that. And there's professional development uh, seminars, lots of awards, a lot of travel and all those things uh, keep you abreast of what society's doing. In fact, when we get a brief from a client that comes in and, and you're reassessing the requirements from a client about what they want, whether it be a house or an office building or a school, and you're always looking for best practice. So it's, it's 
never done, and that actual practice is called practice because it's every job you do is rehearsing for the next job you get after the one you're working on. So uh, it's never finished, hence the name, architectural practice. And medical practice is the same thing. It's never done. There's no solution, no final solution that will solve all ongoing. It's always changing. So, um, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's uh, an ongoing quest to stay abreast with everything and, and um, be relevant for sure. I uh, I have to thank my wife for introducing me to your show because I at first I was like, well, I'm not really into building or renovating or anything like that. Why would I want to watch this show? And I've come to adore Grand Designs because oh, well, Peter, while while it is it is fun to watch you push them for the price point on how much they ended up paying. Well, that part's oh, it's, it's always a, a tricky question to ask. <laughs> well, that part's fun. For me, what I love is this show, as someone who makes a lot of reality TV, what I love is this show is an, it, you end up seeing the outward expression of someone's internal sense of emotion or sense of place or worthiness played out in their expression of how they put a structure together. And and I might be reading too much into it, but for me, that's definitely what I get out of it. Is that something similar to what you found? The uh, I'm there at the coalface meeting and visiting each of these locations. But the, let's just talk about the expression. The expression is driven by the client's brief to themselves or a, a husband or a, an architect and sometimes solely driven by the own homeowner, but more often than not, a, a combination of, of people around them. Uh, and, and I would say 60% of the houses we do, the architects are involved, and they will help put together the physical brief into a, an aesthetic response. So it's usually a team of, of uh, people that work on these buildings. And the architecture is the manifestation of a whole lot of inputs, materials that are available, climate, topography, prevailing conditions, cost, budget, cultural background. So there's a whole lot of um, inputs that make buildings the way they are. Uh, that's what makes it interesting. And they vary right across the country, depending on where they're being built. Some have rammed earth because earth's available, some out of, out of local timber, which is really pro- prolific and, and it's accessible. So the, the buildings are often modified from the absolute, fully desirable object the owner might want, and, it, and it's often modified because of all these inputs. And that, that, and. Most people, uh, although it's a very tricky and thought process, most people uh, convince their house is the best one that could ever be done, you know? There has to be an element of confirmation bias, certainly when you're doing things like uh, in this recent series when you're a a retired science and maths teacher putting your entire life savings into building a concrete bunger in a suburb that's never going to resale and get you that money back. You're going to want to convince yourself that it's the right thing to do. (laughs) It's pretty hard, isn't it? And would you put all your assets into one basket? Hell no! And, uh, you know, sink it, sink it, sink it underground. I mean, it's a pretty gutsy effort. Uh, and, that, and that's the thing about the, 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 a lot of people I deal with are so brave, mm. really brave. I've never built my own home from the ground up. I, I've always renovated. The current house we're in, my wife and I, is a mid-century house, and it's very easy. It's a lot easier, not nearly as confronting to work with a, a structure in place and titillate the edges as opposed to wipe it out and start with a blank canvas, a much harder thing to do. But there's a lot of brave Australians out there, and they're doing some wild stuff, you know, some really wild stuff. Oh, mate, I've, I'm, I'm captivated by every single week when I watch Grand Designs. I'm not just blowing smoke, man. I just, I just every week when I watch these Australians who have lives completely different to mine, but I just so, like, that one bloke who's, like, 
of the top of a mountain somewhere in the highlands just for six years, basically essentially separating from his wife so he could build this oh, thing yeah, out of his hands. Eureka. Oh, yeah, uh, separate uh, Eureka. Yeroa, sorry, Yeroa. Yeah, Mine. building the big Rossi. Uh, where do you live? We, we live in an apartment in Bronte in Sydney. Ah, okay. Yeah. Beautiful. Nice spot. It's great. Um, you know, it's yeah. Utilitarian. Yeah. It does what it needs to do. Yeah. I'm in a room that yeah. was my podcast office. It is now a baby room. <laughs> nice spot. There. Nice spot to go swimming. Beautiful area. But this week we're doing a show. It's an episode around a couple in Byron Bay, Suffolk Park. Glorious. And it's a great episode also about someone doing something they really believe in and living in a, a caravan for a couple of years while they're building this thing. So, and this guy this week is enamoured with uh, mid-century architecture. So he, he's a, a fashion designer, uh, so he knows he's a little bit uh, computer savvy, designs his own house, takes a year off and builds it. So it's a classic uh, grand designs where he does something that he's absolutely convinced is the right design solution. Uh, and it could have been any a whole lot of solutions, but he's... He's uh, just loves the idea of mid-century architecture and reproduces a great iteration of that uh, from his own research, his own knowledge. It's a classic story this week, yeah. Um, you have seen, I don't, can't imagine how many builds doing this oh. job. Would you like to see? It must be hundreds, surely. You've got a number? Hang on, I'll show you something. Hang on, we're getting it. A- Let's look at the ceiling for a moment. I'm just looking at uh, Peter's ceiling and his... Uh- in his beautiful office there. Um, okay, so, so, hang on, stay with me. <laughs> oh my goodness, that is a list of every job you've ever shot. Oh my goodness, there's a list of just goes on and on and on and on. Yeah, so all the and it's the only way I can remember all the projects is yeah. to have have every house with its yeah. owner's name and. Contact details, right? So I'm able to keep keep abreast. So we've done gone to where is is about eighty five, I think, episodes, and we're making another thirty currently, of which twenty will go to where. We need to get ten episodes a year to where mm. because they take anything from one year to ten years to build. Uh, the current series is showing, but we're making enough to do seasons nine and ten. So having seen that amount of work that is outside of the kind of scope you would take on yourself as an architect? Uh, yeah, 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 because you couldn't manage that many projects, particularly residential, which is very detailed, without a huge team. And working with clients that you might otherwise, as an architect, go, you know what, I'm not the guy for you. Yeah, yeah, you have to have an affinity with your client, I think. Working with personalities that are very different to your own. What have you learned over, let's call it 100, over 100 builds that you've built and witnessed to on Grand Designs, what have you learned, what can you tell us about making a plan? Making a plan. So um, anyone can make a plan, but there's a big difference between a plan on, on, on a minty wrapper and, and a set of uh, cohesive, well-thought-out, detailed plans where a professional is involved because, you know, you would never carry out surgery on your own hand, would you? I mean, you get a professional to do it. And why, why would you take on probably the most expensive, uh, most fraught process without a professional involved? And it's not just about design. There's a whole lot of other things going around planning issues. They call them DAs in Sydney, development approvals. But uh, also the whole costing process needs to be uh, followed. And all the consultants, you know, engineers, surveyors to make sure you don't trip up. And it took me seven years to qualify as an architect, but I didn't really understand the process until I practiced for another seven years. So it takes a long time before you can get, you understand the whole process. So it takes a, a lot of diligence and, and skill to be able to 
design a well thought thought out building. What have you learned? Because this is also my wife and I, we play a little bingo game when we watch your show. What have you learned about the importance and why is project management important? Okay, so so once you finish the design process and, and you've got a set of documents that you can build from, uh, there's still a lot of interpretation that can go on during the building process. You virtually build the building before it starts on paper with a set of cohesive contract documents and then you build it in reality on site. Now, when you rebuild it on site, on location, you virtually have to build the whole thing again from ground up with the builder holding his hand. When I say holding his hand, not telling him how to hold the hammer, but making sure his interpretation of what I've, what we've drawn is the way he's seeing it. And there's still a lot of work to do to make those plans come to life. And, and no one will know, the client who's paid for them will not know what's on those drawings intimately. Only the architect will know. So... It's called contract administration. That is administering the contract between the client mm. and the builder. If an architect's not involved, anything can change, and, no, and only the builder possibly will know. So it's, it's critical, really, to, to ensure what you've paid for comes to life, is built. When, when you do make a show, you, always, you do always make a note of it when you say, they've decided to project manage this themselves. Why yeah. do you lean on that so much? Because um, it's, a, it's a fatal flaw, a fatal mistake. Because most people think they can manage their own superannuation or manage the purchase of a new car. So how much different is it going from managing the household budget, say, a couple might have done for 10 years, not much difference between that and they draw the parallel to managing a building process. But with a building process, you've got 100 different sets of hands working on it, all with different prices and tendering conditions, all with different agendas. So someone's got to bring that playing orchestra together. And without a conductor, it's going to be mayhem. And certainly if you are full of that confirmation bias of, no, this is the best house ever, I have come up with the best idea, you can be very prone to just saying yes to invoices after invoices after invoices. Yeah, and so there's a whole managing of the time and the cost and variations and changes, but also understanding what the trades do and the, and the, and the coordination of that. So it's a, a less sure way of building if you project manage yourself. A, a lot, you know, it's more likely to go off the rails. Yeah, I can say that fairly confidently. <laughs> when, when you are in the middle of it all, and I guess you know, this is also a, a renovation question, I'm asking you these questions mainly because there's so many parallels between you know, the building of a house and also there's so many decisions we make in our lives that have similar uh, kind of gravity to them, but the, the, the permanence uh, of the, the jeopardy of you know, putting a wall here or there is going to last a long time to other decisions we may make in our life. And so I definitely know that one of the other ones that I see a lot in grand designs is the, um, well, the digger's here or the, the brick is here, we may as well. And deviating from what we've already decided oh, to do yeah, to, yeah, well, yeah. we may as well, you know, yep. and that that's just a, 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 a frightening thing to do. Mm. It's a compulsive thing because it's really hard to see the way the building is going to come together when it's being built because mm. there's a lot of uncertainty and difficulty reading the end result when something's half built. So it's uh, it's a quite a compulsive thing to do to go, oh, let's make the window a big, bit bigger now because we can um, and let's cut another hole here or extend the slab there. So, I mean, if, the, if it's a house has been designed, if it's a house by an architect, you, you have to rest assured that there's been thought gone into it 
thorough thought about furniture layouts and you know where light switches go and it, and one thing leads to another. Uh, you know, it's a linear process you go through when designing things. It's not haphazard, but when it's being built, it is haphazard. Walls go in, and then there might be a little bit of lighting track goes in you. So it's it's really you have to be cautious. You don't change things. I'll never, I'll never forget your face. I think on my favourite episode ever, um, the famous Cliff House in North Bondi, and. Uh, oh, yeah. It, I think the build started at 800 or something, it ended up somewhere near 3 million or something. And the the camera tracks watching you, you're walking through the site and you're just trying, you're doing a piece to camera and you come upon drawings in pencil on a piece of formwork oh, yeah, right. yes, and your right. face just turns to horror like, I know, what I the know. fuck are these people doing? They're redesigned. This need an engineer for this. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's where the female partner decided she'd become a builder through building her own home. And that's just, I mean, it's freaky, isn't it? What, what's a good parallel? For instance, you're on a holiday in the Greek islands and, and decide, well, instead of catching the a hydrofoil between islands, let's just swim <laughs> with the packs on our backs, you know. Let's just swim, see what happens. It no. was uh, it was just an extraordinary just whirlpool, <laughs> and it was it seemed to me that particular episode seemed to me like this the perfect storm because there was a never ending faucet of money feeding it. Yeah, well, he, he'd done. I think they'd done very well out of property development in Sydney, right? And I think that there was an issue there. Look, who knows what it's stake on, on these houses? You know, there's a mm. lot of you know architecture is very much marriage guidance as much as building. <laughs> I'll bet. How many times have you had to sit down there with you know clients in front of you and just kind of have uh, to calmly explain? Right. It's, it's it's not not about one client. It's always about two clients and possibly more. So that's the thing about residential as opposed to commercial architecture. Mm. There's there's a whole understanding human frailty and human relationships, which drives a lot of decision making. Yeah. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's a def the, the other thing that I see on, on your show, and you have, obviously would have to manage people's expectations a lot, particularly around the acceptance of of what is like. Okay, the the, the windows are not going to arrive. You're not going to be able to move in, and, and helping people deal with that. Have you had to, you know, figure, have you figured out a way to make that easier, or is it always tricky? Yeah. So, so uh, when you do engage a professional at the start of the process. Uh, what we say to them is is you might have a, a, um, a contract value of, say, a million dollars, but you need to understand it's going to vary. So you need to allow a, a, what's called a contingency sum and also a time contingency for it goes bump in the night. And, and 
people have trouble understanding that, but every house is a prototype. It hasn't been done before, and there are things that no one can predict. So time, as you mentioned, is one of those things. So it's a matter of arming yourself at the start. It's not like going buying a car off the shelf and you drive and get the keys and drive out, which is what we consumers expect. That's what we're used to. We're conditioned. You buy it, you want a suit cut, you go and try it on, thanks very much, there's the money, you walk out. But in, in, in architecture, it's a lot more unpredictable and you need to build in at the start. So, okay, it's going to, we know from experience, it's going to run 10% over. So it's a million dollars. You need to allow 100 grand now in your budgeting. If you can't afford it, let's make it a $900,000 build and still allow that 10% extra. So you need to allow that and you need to know the time. It's going to take another six weeks to get the, the taps back out from another place. Mm. So you, you build that in at the start so expectations are not let down. So therefore, you know, during the building process, you don't take a six-month lease on accommodation. You take a year-and-a-half lease or a 12-month lease knowing that it's going to blow out because that's the nature of things. You're absolutely right. Our conditioning is I walk in somewhere, I put my money on the counter, the thing comes back to me, it's what I wanted, I walk out, it's done. But as you mentioned, everything is a bespoke creation, even if it's even if yeah. it's a track house out in the you know, out in the suburbs, which used to be a farm a year ago, it's still a bespoke yeah. creation and it's gonna be yeah. open to weirdness. That's <laughs> All right. kinds of weirdness. Yeah. I know look, it goes back to what, what we're doing. I mean, buildings are complex beasts. And everyone's unique. And as builders, you can have the best builder in the world, but you won't have done a one-off house. Unless they're being builders doing row houses and, and, and they're, they're cookie cutters, there's, there's always going to be difficulty for the builder getting his head around it and ordering the right things and getting his tr the appropriate trades to make them. So it's a really interesting process and um, not predictable, yeah. The, as daunting as it is, do you... I mean, and considering the the housing market situation in Australia, do you see it as something worth pursuing for for people? Do you hope? Do you wish that more people would would do it? There's there's only about five percent of people in Australia use architects. Five percent, it's not much. So we're like the canary in the coal mine. We tend to do houses that the mass market will follow because there's new um, innovation going on, uh, whether materials or building techniques or whatever it is. And, and so that's widely publicised and picked up by the mass market. So there will always be a need for that experimentation. But it's very important to keep pushing the frontier to have breakthroughs on the status quo. Otherwise, there's no such thing as history. We need to create things that date which we can learn from. Having things that do date are really important. Everyone's worried about falling out of fashion. Things are going to date. And I often get it, both on the show and here in my practice, that people are fearful of things dating. But, you know, how good is it that we can look back at history and assess things objectively and learn from the, the, the past? If, if things don't date, I'm going to be in big trouble. So there's, there's a false fear about that in the community. And what it is, is that people are worried that their biggest investment might be worthless in 10 years' time because it, it, it doesn't look on the money for today. We're reaching a time now in Australia where building codes are reflecting uh, a move quite, and, and rightly so, towards sustainability. What excites you about that? Well, it's going to be, uh, we're going to stay on the planet longer. Uh, that's, that's what excites me about it. And it, it's not a selfish thing and just about feeling responsible. It's about keeping our planet uh, in balance. Uh, but I, I've got a feeling there's a... There's an atomic explosion coming because of the population explosion and, and it's just putting off the inevitable. You know, we're consuming way more than the, the planet can offer up. But there, it's, it's a slow process. Uh, government slow to move. Uh, we now have a six-star energy rating in all, all houses we build and that has to be signed off by a building surveyor. 
uh, and that process means it's got to have in Victoria double glazing, windows facing the right way, water collection and insulation. So they're the kind of key elements. But that regulation to determine how you're going to use the building. So I can have the best building in the world and just leave all the windows open and have the heating on full and I've still got a building permit. So there's, there's a whole responsibility about the way we conduct ourselves post getting a building permit and I don't think people kind of understand that, you know. And, it, and it's a holistic thing that's more than just sustainable buildings. It's the way we conduct ourselves, whether we wear a jumper or turn up the air conditioning, you know, whether we pick up rubbish in the street, whether we have a vegetable garden or not. You know, how often we replace our jumpers rather than letting them wear out. You know, there's a whole lot of waste and responsibility issues beyond just creating a, 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 a building with solar panels on the roof. So uh, it's a big conversation that, that that's, uh, uh, stretches a long way. You know, I've just done a little off uh, little building in my practice. You can go online and have a look at it. And it, it clicks its own. It's, it's a mobile home, tiny home. Uh, and it clicks its own black water, grey water, solar. It's, just, uh, you don't need, it's totally off grid. It's only 17 square metres, this little building. And, and I've got a feeling we're going to be going that way where the buildings are individual and totally self-contained. And all the needs that we demand of ourselves to live are going to have to be produced by the fabric of the building we're living in. So everything, we won't be able to, in the future, consume the world's resources by the, the bubble we live in. And so that's going to mean the outside of the skin of the building totally performs with the environment we're in. So it self-cools, self-heats. It takes in all the power and whatever we produce in there helps feed that cell. So that's the way we're going to go in the future because it's the only way. So we've got a couple of hundred years to go before, before we'll see it happen. Mate, I'm so excited to hear you talk like that. That is, that's, that's fabulous. And that, you know, as you mentioned, you know, that's the architects that are taking those leaps that the mass market will follow is, uh, it's, 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 it's like, you know, seeing the stuff on a catwalk in, in Paris and then 18 months later, seeing something similar on the, on the rack in Target, mm, mm. you know, but it's super exciting. But, but uh, with, with building, you know, we used to do it out of sand and stone. Mm. Uh, and and to these days we can build with technology and three-dimensional computing, we can build anything. So we're not constrained, uh, and that's exciting in some ways, but um, uh, there's a long way to go to select the right building materials for the world and have, have these individual cells that are, that are self-sustaining. So that's exciting for me. So a fi- final question, and, and so my tongue is firmly in my cheek when I ask you this. People often ask me if they were doing a bingo card for a show like The Bachelor, anytime someone says journey or anybody, someone says connection or anytime someone's on a jet ski or takes a helicopter when they could take a car. If we were doing the Grand Designs bingo card, uh, what would be on it? It's a light bulb moment. Yeah. So the ultimate thing for Grand Designs, what are you thinking, Osha? I'm thinking, well, if, if I'm watching an episode of Grand Designs, like, say, for example, if the owner is refusing to give you the, the final budget, like, that's a bingo. Um, if there's a baby that comes during the, during the build, that's a bingo. <laughs> if the, as you mentioned, if the partner of the owner has decided to project manage. Yeah. So those moments, well, there's, there's lots of them. So, look, where does it start? Well, it starts from the very beginning of the process, not being realistic with budget, time, trying to do too much yourself, not taking advice from people that have more experience, being unrealistic about what goes bump in the night. Uh, too many voices, a big problem. Too many voices in your ear. And uh, I think it's owning up to what you're good at and what you're not good at. And, and that's really hard for people because they want to take on more than they can do. So yeah, being honest with yourself is a bingo moment. 
The best ever, mate. I, I could nerd out with you all afternoon, but I, you're a very busy man. I can't thank you enough for your time today, Peter. Um, thanks for persevering with the connection issues, mate. I really appreciate it. No worries. Best of luck with it, man. See you later. Bye-bye. That was Peter Madison. You can see the season finale of Grand Designs Australia 2019. The season finale is our next Wednesday, uh, so you can watch all the episodes as well. All the episodes are on catch-up for all the seasons, I do believe, if you have a Foxtel box or the online app or whatever. It's a great show. I love this show. Um, thank you so much to everyone that made today happen. Big thanks to Jamie Campbell from Foxtel who helped me out today, my show producer Rachel Barrett, Andy Marr, my audio producer, and Mike Mills, also known as Toa Hider, who made the fantastic new music that I love so much. Speak to you on Monday because my guest on Monday is the triumphant return, ladies and gentlemen, of Rosie Waterland. She's back. She's recapping Batch again, and she and I have a lot to talk about. I cannot wait for you to hear this one. Until we speak on Monday, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.